back in the Psalms to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. And we'll read 1 through 11. But the focus of our time together is going to be verses 7 through 11. Psalm 19. The title of this psalm in my Bible is The Law of the Lord is Perfect. Verses 1 through 6, and this is an excellent psalm to memorize because it tells us so many things in this psalm. But verses 1 through 6 talk about God as creator. Hear the word of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Almost every single person in this entire world believes in a God or a power or something that's out there that is greater than themselves, unseen, not seen. And Psalm, which we just read, verses 1 through 6, disclose that God created this world, and it's a testimony to God. And what we would say is that anyone who studies creation, and I would say that that's most of the scientists in this world, most of the technologists are studying God's creation. They're using God's laws in creation to develop all kinds of nice things for us. Almost all of them don't believe that this world came about by chance. It didn't happen by chance. Even the most ardent evolutionists has some problems. And one of their problems is how can a complex living organism evolve from chemicals? I can't get the chemicals to come together as an organism. An evolutionist does not have an adequate explanation. And so they believe that there's something greater out there that caused us to happen, that set it off in some way. And so creation is a testimony to us that there is a God. And then we would say that people have a built-in inclination to believe in something that is greater than themselves. John Calvin called it a sense of divinity. And then we look throughout the world, we see that people have created gods in almost every culture. 
Justin Martyr, who lived in the first century, said there's a seed of religion implanted in every single human being. They all believe in something. Sometimes they think they control that higher power, but they believe in a higher power. We would say, if you're a Christian, and we'll assume that you have Christian inclinations and that you are a Christian, that God created all of mankind with a conscience. Today, we're not going to look at creation, we're not going to look at our conscience, but we're going to look at the truth that the word of God, as we read just now, is the only place that you can go to lead you to salvation. And the word of God gives you that knowledge that leads you to salvation. If we would take a look at the Westminster Larger Confession, it says this, but his word and spirit only do sufficiently and effectually reveal him unto men for their salvation. And what the writers were writing so long ago is that you can spend a lifetime studying God's creation, and people do. We see them immersed in science. They become brilliant scientists. They win awards. They can spend their whole life studying science. And you could become very sensitive to your conscience. You have a very strong sense of what is right and what is wrong. And what our catechism says is that you still don't know enough to be saved. Paul recognized this in Romans. He said, his invisible attributes, that's God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Everyone knows about that. Ever since the creation of the earth, people have been understanding. God is powerful. God is divine in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse to not know God. They know God. But the problem is you don't know enough to save you from sins. Therefore, you need something more. You could love God. You could worship a God. You could look to a God to help you in all circumstances, but that God you've only learned about through his creation and through your conscience. Without the scriptures, you would not know about salvation. And so in the scriptures, you learn certain things. You learn that this God, who was a creator, who put this conscience in you, is gracious. This God is loving. This God is merciful. And this God is a redeemer. And we might know that God is glorious because he's a creator. We know that he's wise because just look at this creation. It takes, takes a tremendous amount of effort just to understand pieces of his creation. He's eternal. Somebody must have created this world who isn't just a fly-by night. That person must have been around forever. And he's powerful because when I take a look out and I see all this stuff, somebody who is weak could not have created this world. But only in the scriptures do we learn 
that God is our Lord. God exists as three in one. We call it the Trinity. We wouldn't know that by looking in the sky. We wouldn't know that by studying the human body. And the word of God is sufficient for us to salvation. Looking at Psalm 19, we learn that the word of God is not only sufficient, but it is what we would call effectual. It affects us. It means that it produces a reaction in us. God pushes us, so to speak. It tells us things that we can act upon. We can know about him. Now just take a look at this psalm for a moment. In verse 7, we say, there's the law of the Lord. And what does the law of the Lord do for us? Well, first of all, the law of the Lord is perfect, we would say. And so what does it do for us? It revives our soul. It helps us in understanding who we are and what we're made of. We have a soul. That's what the word of God does for us. And then we read the testimony, and that's another word, so to speak, for his commandments and his rules. The testimony of the Lord is sure. And what do we mean by the surety of God? It's something that we know is true. And so everything that is in the Bible is true. And because it's true, what does it do for us? It makes us wise. Even the most simple of us becomes wise if we study the word of God. Maybe we're not like wise as the world looks as wisdom, but we are wise because we know who we are. We know we are children of God. We know that we need God. We know that he's made provision for us to our salvation. And each one of these commandments here, each one of these things that are mentioned, the precepts of God, the commandment of God, the fear of the Lord, each one of those is teaching us that not only did God give us his word, it tells us something about his word, and then it tells us what our response is to the word. And so we know that his word is enduring. It lasts forever. God's word has been there from the very beginning. It's going to be the same word when we're taken to heaven. It'll be the same word when he comes back and brings everyone to heaven and he sends some to perdition or to hell. That word is pure. It's perfect. It's not contaminated by sin. God did not give us the Ten Commandments, and let's say that he gave us do not steal. That is a commandment, isn't it? That's the commandment. He didn't say later on in the Bible, do not steal except in these three situations. His word of God is true and pure. There are no exceptions to the truths that he's given to us. And so when we say, read, do not steal, that's what God means, do not steal ever. The psalmist caps off these thoughts in verse 10 by saying, if you believe these things, 
It is more precious than gold. Do you like gold? Some people really like gold. I do know that gold is very valuable. And then he says, not only gold, fine gold. And what he's really saying is that the words of God, as written in the scriptures, are better than all the money in the world, all the possessions that you could have. And then he says it a different way. He says they're sweeter also than honey. I like honey. I'm sure you may like honey. I like the sweetness of honey. Honey was a very desirable product in times before because they didn't have sugar. We have sugar. They didn't have sugar back then. They only had honey. And where do you get honey? From honeybees. You can only find it every so often. It was a very precious commodity, and it was, like, delicious. The word of God is better than having some nice honey. It's better than all of those wonderful things that you can have in your life. It's better than the pleasures of food. It's better than all the pleasures that you could go on, all the trips that you could go on, all the activities that you could go on. The word of God is better than that. That's what the psalmist is saying. And finally, in verse 11, he says, in the keeping them, there is great reward. We want to think about what it is that that great reward is. The great reward is that you will have life eternal that comes after this life. Your life is going to continue after death. The Bible's not really clear on how that happens, but it is clear of one thing. Christians are going to have eternal life with Jesus Christ in the presence of God. And if you're not a Christian, you're going to have life without God, in a place of torment. Do you faithfully look to God's word to guide your life, to gain his great war, reward? Do you expect that reward? That's our great hope. There's a problem, and the problem is this. Do you really think the word of God is God's word? Do you really think God cares about you? If he made that huge creation, which is an enormous structure, we would say, it's so enormous our minds can't even think about how big it is. And we realize that a God made this. And he gave us a conscience built right into us that tells us what's right and what's wrong. Do you believe that God is concerned about you? And in a way... You would say, well, we're just like a speck in the spectrum. God has a lot of other things to think about. But no, God is so mighty that he can think about us. And he is concerned about us. And he's concerned that we might spend eternity with him. And so how is he going to give us the opportunity to learn of him? He had to write it down. And that's why we believe the Bible is the word of God. And you might be thinking, Next door, there's a person who is Islamic, and they take out their Koran, 
And maybe, depending what kind of Islam they believe in, they also take out the Hadith, a book that accompanies the Quran, explains the Quran. Or maybe you live next to a person who's a Mormon, and they say, oh yeah, we have the Bible, but they haul out their Book of Mormon. Or you work with somebody who's from India, and the Indian says, oh yeah, we have some books. We have, and uh, uh, excuse my pronunciation, the Vahadad Kita and the Upanishads and the Vedas. And that's what we read. And those are supposedly the words of God. And each of these writings, and there are many writings out there, where people have written down what they say is the word of God. Now, why would I think that the Bible is the word of God and my neighbor, who's Islamic, thinks the Quran is the word of God? And my other neighbor, who is a Mormon, thinks the Book of Mormon is the word of God. What is the difference? Some people try to synthesize all of these and say they're universalists, but we don't believe that, do we? The difference is that the Bible tells us that it's inspired, which means that God spoke through men who wrote it down. It tells us that the word of God is infallible, that it is true in every single occasion, and it tells us it's authoritative, that what it says is right and should be listened to. Well, you say, well, how do you know that? Well, I can choose some scriptures, and you could find some too, like Hebrews 1. The writer of Hebrews, as they begin, they say long ago, it almost sounds like the beginning of a movie or a book or something, long ago, at many times and in many ways, and then it says, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Hebrews is claiming that all those prophets that we have in our Bible, God spoke through the prophets, when they spoke, they were speaking the word of God. We read in 2 Peter 1, verse 20, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Then he continues, for no prophecy was produced by the will of man. No man just made up all this stuff that God supposedly said, but Peter says, Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit used men to write down the word of God. The Bible claims to be infallible. It's the word of God. And when we say infallible, it is true in all that it teaches. Now, I can't use the word of God as a scientific textbook, but I can use the word of God to teach me how to live in this life. I can use the word of God to teach me what it means to be saved. I can use the word of God to teach me how to worship God, what it means to glorify God. 
read in Psalm 12, verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words. And then the psalmist says, this is how pure they are. They are like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. And whenever you see the word seven in the Bible, it represents perfection, doesn't it? It's saying, I took this silver and I heated it up so that I could skim off the impurities off the top, and then I let it cool down, and then I heated it up again seven times. This silver is so pure, you won't find anything in this, in this silver. That's what the word of God is like. It is so pure that we can use it authoritatively. We can use it as being infallible. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. I can trust the word of God. And then the, a classic passage that we read in 2 Peter 1 verses 3 through 4. The word of God can inform us. It's the source of, it's the foundation of all of our theology, all of our thinking about God, and our practice. It informs us about doctrine. It informs us about life. And in 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And so the word of God is given to us to teach us how we are to live. We see this in the Bible sometimes you're reading one of the prophets, maybe Isaiah, and all of a sudden the prophet says, thus says the Lord. He's quoting God. And the words that he wrote were God's. Or you think about Jesus as we read many times, especially in Matthew 5 or whatever. Jesus says, I say to you, he is speaking as God. We know that every word that Jesus spoke, but now he is saying, this is my authority. The Bible is authoritative. Now, we've said that the word of God is the only sufficient way of learning about salvation, right? We can't find out about salvation by looking at creation. We can't find out about salvation about, by listening to our conscience. But can I find salvation just by reading the Bible? I know people who read the Bible as a piece of literature. You can take Bible as a literature class in many colleges, secular colleges. They study the Bible. And so they subject the Bible to literary criticism. Or somebody says, I just like to read the Bible because it gives me words of comfort. It helps me in my daily life. It, it's one of those books that you read, maybe kind of like the Iliad or the Odyssey were. And so it, there are a lot of nice, good stories in the Bible. It's a good book. Those people who read the Bible, nothing is happening for them. They're reading the Bible. Do they believe that the Bible is the word of God? 
Maybe not. They believe it was a work created by men. How does someone become a Christian by reading the Bible? That's the question, isn't it? Well, Paul has an answer. He says the Jews, when they read the Old Covenant, that Old Testament that they have, they have a veil over their eyes. They don't read it to their salvation because that veil is over their eyes. But then Paul says in verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 3, but when one comes to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, Paul says, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we have to add another element to the Word of God. We have to add the Holy Spirit. The only way someone who reads the Bible and becomes converted is because the Holy Spirit has entered into them and helped them in their understanding where they realized that they were a sinner, that this God who wrote this Bible wanted them to understand what it meant to have a relationship with them, that they were unsuitable to stand before God, but God in his great love offers them salvation. And when they read through the Gospels, they understand that all of this writing about Jesus' last days and how he went to the cross and how he was resurrected was for you. It's not just a story. It's for you. And the Spirit brings that home and rescues you and brings you to the realization that you are that sinner that Jesus Christ died for on the cross. And that's why the word of God is so necessary for us as Christians because the Holy Spirit uses the words that are in the Bible to bring us to salvation. Just think about it. The Apostle Paul, he was bent on ridding the Jewish nation of all these people who had fallen into this following Jesus Christ as Savior. He got on his horse. He was riding to Damascus with his people. And they were going to Damascus. They were going to root these people out. On the way, a light from heaven shone upon Paul, knocked him on the ground. Jesus Christ appeared to him and he was converted. The word of God, which he knew very well, he knew his Old Testament, he was one of those people probably had it memorized, was used by Jesus Christ to convert him through Jesus' spirit. But then we think of Timothy. Timothy was a much different person. Timothy was someone who, who Paul said to him, your mother, and grandmother taught you the scriptures. And when Paul came to preach in Timothy's hometown, Timothy heard it and said, yeah, I believe that. He had gradually come to realize that the scriptures were the word of God. And he was converted. He probably could not pinpoint a day or a point in time. 
he had been brought along and he believed what he had been taught since his youth. The Holy Spirit uses every single means to bring people to salvation. But some people have a dramatic salvation. Some people have a, what I would call a gradual salvation. But God in his infinite mercy has tailored salvation for each person because each one of you is different. Your story of salvation is different. That's how God works through history, and that's how the Holy Spirit works in each person. If you are converted, if you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have accepted his crucifixion on the cross as punishment for your sins, you believe in the Bible, don't you? The Holy Spirit was effective in your life. You believe that the Bible is true. You have all that you need for eternal life. In your bulletin today, we put in, the, as part of the insert, some reasons to memorize the Bible. And I'm not telling you to memorize the Bible word for word, but I am telling you to learn what the Bible has to tell you. There are a lot of reasons to read the Bible. If you're a Christian, the Bible was used in your salvation. You need to read it to see what it tells you about your salvation. It tells you how God wants you to live. And so your conscience will tell you there must be a God. It looks like the world is designed. The Bible is sufficient to tell you about salvation. The Bible is truthful in helping us live our lives today. But the only way we can be saved is if the Holy Spirit is working in your life. And it is working today. We, are not, we might be saved in a moment, but the Holy Spirit works in us for a lifetime. And what is the Holy Spirit doing in our lives today if you're a Christian? It's conforming you to the standards of Scripture, those commandments and rules, so that you become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10, These things, he said, God has revealed to us through his Spirit. And that's what's happening to us today. Let the Spirit reveal things through his scriptures to you. And I'm telling you, read the Bible. Listen to what it has to tell you.